while all cars in Australia quietly go to the great big farm in the sky, in other markets, they get a new lease on life. But where, why, and how? Yes, it's time to strap in for another edition of the Kyle's Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode 199, Zombie Car Apocalypse. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me to discuss this rise of the driving dead is Cars Guide Senior Editor Richard. Oh, g'day. And key contributor Byron. Hello, everybody. We'll lift up the B&D roller door and peer into the corners of the Cars Guide garage, looking back on our hero cars and memorable drives. Then we'll dive into your feedback. YouTubers, if you want to plot your own adventure, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below, and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. And yes, the Melbourne lad who commented on last week's show, we hear you. Uh, no time codes, no stamps. Mr. Pritchard has paid his penance, uh, and we have reinstated those from last week's show, but uh, they'll be in this week, that's for sure. So let's hit the start button. And it's brilliant that you're with us, Byron, because one of your stories during the week has created uh, a lot of interest. And it's about cars that have been retired from this market, but continue on happily in other parts of the world. And the premise is that we have Australian design regulations that are pretty strict about uh, safety things, all all kinds of um, mandatory stuff that a car has to have that may not be the case elsewhere. So they don't cut the mustard here, but they continue on happily elsewhere. And we've, we've gone through a whole bunch of different models Before we start, though, it puts me in mind of a story that I think you wrote for Wheels Mag about cars that had a second life and um, changed well after they'd they'd disappeared from the Aussie market. And the one that blew my mind was the LJ Tirana. Do you recall that story? And and it was, I think it was sold up in Korea as a Chevrolet and they had a wagon version as well, which was just extraordinary. Well, yes, yes, I remember that. And uh, actually, that was probably the genesis of this story, um, combined with the fact that used cars are so expensive and new cars uh, are unobtainable at the moment for so many reasons. Um, I started thinking, how about kind of combining the two, a new used car that you can buy overseas? And then, you know, that led down a rabbit hole. But yes, that's right. So um, the car we're talking about, or you're talking about, is the... Uh, I think it was called the Chevrolet 1700. 1700, yeah. Yeah, yes. it was. And it was a wagon version of the LJ Tirana, but it was launched after the LH Tirana was launched in Australia. And I, from, uh, uh, please, if you are a reader or a watcher or a listener and you know better, please let us know. But I believe it was uh, Holden selling the tooling of the LJ Tirana to what became Daewoo. That's right. Uh, and mm. they improved it by having this quite handsome wagon version, which looks like it was designed to have from the beginning. Mm. And this Chevy 1700 was in production in one form or another until the early 90s. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that, of course, got me thinking that there are other cars that have just been around for years and years, long after they um, shuffled off the Australian model coil. Yes. And, um, yeah. And well, the, we f- could- the first one we want to start with is- Can I just say, bit- I, was yes. a bit, I was a bit disappointed in Byron's story. I when, when I read the headline, I thought it was cars you should pick for the zombie apocalypse. The apocalypse. And then I, I saw see. things like just, Pulsar just... and so I'm like, what? You'd never pick a Pulsar for the zombie apocalypse. Well, maybe you <laughs> want to fly Cruiser. under the radar. You don't want to be a big target, do you? Mm. you don't want to see Even the zombies up. aren't going to want to touch that's right. that. Yeah. That's it. Anyway, that's it. sorry. Sorry, I had to put that in there. That's okay. Yeah. Well, you know. I'm not perfect, but maybe next time. We'll, we'll, <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a good story in the end, yeah, I found. Thank you. Yeah, Mark yeah, that admission yeah. down. Mark yeah. that admission down. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, not perfect. Byron yeah. Matthew Darkus, uh, 10th <laughs> of September, 2021. Okay. Now, uh, the, but the one we start with wouldn't be bad in a zombie apocalypse because um, it's a tough kind of high riding. It's a four-wheel drive. Mm. It's got the, the looks to, mm. to put people off. Um, and, Richard, you were mentioning um, before the show uh, how many of your friends and acquaintances have been wondering why it's not on sale anymore? Yeah. Um, it's the FJ Cruiser um, from Toyota. I thought Toyota. you were going to say Terios, but yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> if, the micro. FJ, FJ Cruiser, and it actually, over time, it, it came here late, Byron, as you mentioned in your story. It had been on uh, sale elsewhere for Yonks, but it came here. 
and it got a really devoted uh, following. The customization started to take off. But in 2017, it, it just wasn't there anymore in terms of tech and, and all those things and disappeared. And yet it's on sale elsewhere. Well, it's, it boggles the mind. Like, can you imagine if that car was on sale right now? It mm. would be flying out the showrooms. It would. Absolutely. It would be having its best year. Uh, probably, um, you know, also... Uh, supercharged by the fact that the Ford Bronco and the, there's been a new Jeep Wrangler uh, out in the last couple of years. I think it's revived that kind of retro 4x4 kind of yeah. heritage, historic um, yep. um, kind of movement. And I reckon Toyota is really, really missing a trick not having that it, car. It, it, no, it almost, it, I think you alluded to it in your story, Byron. It's almost become retro on retro. In that it, it launched as a retro, like a, a, a love letter yeah. to, to the uh, Land Cruiser, mm. but it hung around for so long that it became like a long-lived model in its mm. own right. Yeah. Um, did you know, look, I've, I was talking to previous employees of, of Toyota who have, have left the company now, and that there's, there's a, wide, there was a widespread um, sorrow when they had to pull that vehicle out of their lineup. Because it was one of internally at Toyota Australia, it was one of their favourite cars, and they could see how you know potential it had, what was coming in the market. We had retro style minis, um, as you were saying, it would go really, really well today. They they knew that it was it was based on a formidable you know Prado chassis, so it was off road capable, and it looked like Lego. They knew it was a winner, but they had to pull it. Yeah, mm. and mm. and you know what I I. I Tend, and you, you guys are probably the same. You tend to, we tend to think of ourselves as kind of knowledgeable about um, reviewing cars and assessing cars and recommending cars. I remember not long ago, while the car was still available, a friend of mine said, I'm thinking of buying an FJ Cruiser. This is like in early 2017. And um, uh, she's a photographer at Wheels Magazine, actually, Alan Dewar. And yep. I said to Alan, oh, don't buy one of those. Like it's thirsty and it's got those impractical doors and it'll drive yeah, you crazy. suicide doors. And, yep. you know, and she went, oh, as if you know what you, like, you know what you're talking about. She went and bought one. And yeah. now that thing is worth about 20 grand more than what she paid for it because she yeah, bought a great color. She looked after it and it just does not let her down. So it goes to show how little I know. And well, I think it, it was, as you say in your story, it's, it's things like safety, the overall refinement, mm. um, economy. That, that that engine was um, falling off the pace and just the general tech. I mean, I suppose to, to go for another generation of that car, you're left mm. with a decision. It's, it was a retro tribute to a former car. Do we then continue it through various iterations like the Mini or just salute it and say, job well done, you know, goodbye, but it, it, it continues elsewhere. I feel terrible in the same way that Byron does because I've talked to people out of an FJ as well got a mate who lives in WA and he's part of, you know, their huge four-wheel driving scene. And he's like, what about an FJ Cruiser? They look great. And I've, I've got a few friends who've got them. And I talked him out of it based on practicality. I said, look, it's a it's a big off-road vehicle, but at the same time, those little, you know, backward opening doors, the suicide doors at the back are just going to be a problem for you. But now I'm thinking, all right, he should have yeah. just gone for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It could be a private import from South America or we Africa need- or the Middle East where it's still being sold. Mm. We need to be. We need to be um, forgiven. I think there. Yes. Yeah. And but James, you were saying earlier that um, a uh, there may be a replacement. Well, that's right. The the thing that I've thought of occasionally in that the FJ Cruiser was this entree into a new world of Toyota where they were more adventurous and and certainly more creative in terms of the stuff they're offering. Um, there was to be a sort of replacement for FJ Cruiser, which was the TJ Cruiser. An even chunkier, more chiseled uh, looking thing. I think a little smaller in terms of its overall uh, footprint. But I thought, yeah, bring that on. Yeah. And so far, there's been deafening silence. Um, it might come, story. but it might come. It might still okay. be in production. Um, an, electric, um, an electric version, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. To rival Hummer, Rivian, that type of thing that's coming. Who knows? But mm. I, I just love the look of that concept. Uh, yeah. I, a little bit uh, divisive, but uh, I was on the love it side. So if you so if you're watching this in South Africa, 
you probably think you're probably thinking, what are these guys talking about? I can go pick one up in my local Durban dealer. But yeah, no, exactly. no, they'll be saying, what are these guys talking about? It's it's right hand drive the whole bit. Yeah, <laughs> just get, get one on a boat, get it over here. Maybe um, just bring it back. Anyway, now look, let's move on to the next one. Some of these we'll we'll uh, dwell on, some not so much. But the next one's another Toyota, and it's the Corolla sedan that left our market in 2019, and we had that. Uh, divide between hatch and sedan at that point. They were quite different cars, weren't mm. they, Byron? And, and mm. this one, again, is it's like it's the previous generation sedan, but it's being manufactured in Pakistan and South Africa mm-hmm. and in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, so I actually think this is one of the prettiest three-box small cars in a long time. And, and it's sold as strongly on looks as um, as it did on Toyota reliability and practicality. And also it's got more rear leg room and seat room than a uh, Camry of only one or two generations wow. ago. Righto. Yeah. I think that this sort of car should return to Australia as an old school style Toyota that uh, is accessible and dependable and, you know, it just adheres to the traditional Toyota virtues. I think Toyota is marching up market a little bit. It's, I mean, we're in the time when uh, we're in an era now where the cheapest Yaris costs twenty six thousand dollars. That's right. You're, those you're cars just pushing be, thirty grand. Yeah. yeah, those cars were twenty one or twenty two. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're right. still around. What do you reckon, Richard? Do you do you agree? I reckon this reminds me of because I'm a member of the uh, Skoda Rapid uh, Spaceback Club uh, worldwide. And uh, did you know? Oh, sorry, that- I thought it was the Space Cadet Club you were. Uh, no, no, member of, member of that I've seen, too. I've seen the membership too. tag that you yeah. wear on your key ring there. It yeah, you do. You actually got to wear it on your, on your belt. Yeah. You do, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that And the, the Corolla, <laughs> that, that Corolla story reminds me of the fact that even though in every other market of the world, the Rapid was replaced by the Scala in Russia, the Rapid, the Skoda Rapid is so popular, it's still being made and yeah, they've sort of updated go. it. Um, yeah. And look, I think you're right. I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's called the Rapidski. The Rapidski. (laughs) It is. Yeah, look, I think you're right. I think uh, Toyota is marching, you know, up towards a high end. But there are that that cheap and cheerful uh, segment is being filled by, I would say, you know, uh, other brands like Chinese brands. Kia oh. used to sort of fill that segment as well, and that's that's sort of moving up too. And so Hyundai doesn't really have anything too affordable with, these with, days. With either. Toyota's history, I'd say you could learn from it in that mm. Toyota's good at creeping a car up, as a lot yes. of, of makers are. They tend to see, right, if you're a RAV4 buyer, we're going to grow the car with you as you move through different life stages. You'll buy another RAV4 because it's slightly bigger and it'll accommodate your family. And then something comes in underneath, CHR arrives, bang. Mm. And then it starts to shift up and they just backfill the space underneath. So I, I don't know. You, you never know what's going to come out under uh, these other cars that are that are growing in prestige and price and size. That's true. But like Byron, what, what do you want? Do you want just a Toyota with a steering wheel and just wheels and, you know, roll down windows? Uh, look, oh. I, I can... I can- and no multimedia screen because you yes. can nowadays just use your phone. I actually not while you're driving though. No, 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 no. Like you can, you get the, the, you know. And as demonstrated in yes. a recent motor show car, and it'll come to me which which what it was, uh, where it's just got. Oh, it was uh, one of the. I think it was the um, uh, Dacia Sandero. The base model just has a cradle for where you mm. put your phone well, on the dash. Phone. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And it. It, you know, it plugs in, it acts as, uh, you know, GPS and possibly yep. even a reverse camera and all that sort of stuff if you wire it up properly. Yeah, I can, I don't need, people the don't no need frills car. The yeah. no frills car. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And well, I think that Toyota should do that and combined with their um, know-how and the fact that they, they've got legacy technology, yeah. i.e. stuff that's been proven around for years and years and years. It's been around for ages and it doesn't break down. I think that, that they could be on a winner. No, you don't have to call a Corolla. Maybe. No, you're absolutely right because at the moment there's a whole lot of BS from car makers talking about how they are mobility companies and they're changing their name from car manufacturers and car makers to providing mobility solutions. If they really wanted to provide mobility solutions, they would make a car for $10,000 or for $5,000 that didn't have a screen, didn't necessarily have, you know, 
climate adaptive control and st- adaptive, adaptive Christian. Because all that you don't need that. All that you don't need that. Yeah, you don't. Yes. But to have AEB, you need that. You know, you need that ability, and uh, you know, it's the safety standards, isn't it? You're gonna, you're gonna have to to sell a car. Otherwise, we'd all be driving Tata Nana. Do you need AEB? And, and it just wouldn't. Is AEB a requirement for a car to be sold? Or is it just a requirement to get that ridiculous five-star ANCAP rating that ANCAP so-called hand yeah, out willy-nilly? Yeah, yeah. Good question. I'm not sure. Because mm. I, I think stability and traction became mandatory yes. some uh, long time they? ago. In 20, around You'd have those. You'd have those. Yeah. You'd have stability and traction. Yeah. But, and I mean, have, all those you'd have plush power interior... Yes. You'd have hydraulic brakes, I think. Yes. You'd also have... A wreck um, pinion, power wreck pinion. Yeah, power wreck pinion. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. I reckon... <laughs> Look, look, let's keep going. Let's accelerate through uh, the next one. It was a one-year wonder, the Nissan Almera. Um, and Byron, you summed it up beautifully. It. High prices, low equipment levels, uh, regarded as, quote, one of the worst new cars of the past decade. Oh, and also one of the ugliest. It looks like the zombie, comp- the zombie apocalypse came and had its way. And it had its way. Well, our- look, let's just mm-hmm. say that people in parts of Asia and Africa and South America can still buy one and move on to the next vehicle. Just before you do, I just want to yeah. point out that that car came to Australia because I went to the launch in 2012, 2013. I went to the launch of that car. It came with no folding rear seat, yet it has a oh. posterior the size of a Wow, big thing, and big thing. And, like, and why? And I'm a cyclist. It was useless. That car was used. It was ugly. It was slow. It was unrefined. It was expensive, and good riddance. Fine. Well, it wow. didn't think much of you either, Byron. But uh, that's just no one does. No. Um, the next one, I think, would just make Crafty's heart sing uh, because we're talking about the D22 Navara, um, mm. and it's nearing. So it's nearing its silver anniversary. But it was pulled from Australia in 2015. 15, but it's another, that? it's another one that soldiered on. And we were talking just a few moments ago about amortizing the cost of tooling and development and all of that stuff. That's one that uh, would have paid for itself long ago, but it's, mm. uh, it's on sale elsewhere. Mm. Carlos gone would definitely have, um, you know, been impressed with the, uh, the, the money uh, or the return investment, the return on investment of that thing. Uh, that car, yes, it was, uh, it sold pretty well in Australia up until the yeah. early 2012, uh, 20, Tens because it was it was uh, affordable. It looked good. Nissan did a really good job of like dressing that car up too. Like you know, that, yeah. you know, with the alloys and the uh, STL version or STX or STR, whatever it was called. And you still see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had the basics: ABS, dual airbags. Um, you know, as well. Maybe as it's maybe creatures. it's the no frills car. Yes, maybe it's it's it very is. close to what would be the no frills vehicle. Yeah, there's plenty and, of people who live in rural settings who don't want to have to spend fifty three thousand dollars on a on a brand new Navara and just want something they can drive on their property and then to the shops. Richard, that. was that a bit of was that a bit of real estate copy there? People that live in a, people that live in a rural setting, as opposed to the bush. Look, I, I, I think I, I think Richard, you bring set something on five thousand square meters. <laughs> it's a fixer upper. It's, a, it's um, anyway. Sorry. I think Richard brings up an interesting point, though, and this is something that happens in New Zealand with the Suzuki Sierra that's still available there. The uh, um, yes. And that is you can have a farm vehicle, a new farm mm. vehicle that you can buy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you are rural based or, you know, you just, you know, need a workhorse, the Navara D22, which ran from 97 to 2015, still fits the bill. And I'm sure that's why it's sold in many other yeah, um, right. countries in the world. Um, but, you know, for those who are, you know, who are living more urban or, you know, freeway or motorway kind of settings, Maybe this is where uh, cars like the uh, the Great Wall that are cheaper, that have AEB and uh, adaptive cruise control, come into their own. I mm. think mm. Um, they may not quite have the longevity and the proven reliability of a car that's been around for twenty five years. But you know, I think that that mm. serves a particular market. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I love New Zealand. I love New Zealand. Oh, I think so. I think yeah. So do, so do I. You know, if, if it comes to just random signs this, of affection for our near neighbours, I love New Zealand too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I want to give okay, them a look, look, let's, the, on the Nissan <laughs> theme, the Micra, so mm. the 2010 to 2016 Micra, um, <laughs> Byron, you, you very diplomatically described it as not Nissan's finest, finest moment. Um, mm. The third generation Micra, it shrank a bit. 
Um, yes. And it, it lacked sophistication. It was feeling pretty cheap and a little bit crude. And in Europe, sales fell so spectacularly that a risk inversion uh, of the Renault Clio took over um, yes. five years ago. So, mm. But it soldiers on elsewhere uh, also. Well, that car has a bit of the Navara D22 in it, in that it was clearly built down to a price uh, yes. for, you know. It's low seemed, price. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. seemed kind of rough and ready and hardy and all those accurate, um, those um, those words that you use to actually mean uh, like cheap plastics and, you know, indestructible. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and is it a coincidence that that micro was is related to the Almira, which was basically a sedan version of that micro? Oh, I think not a coincidence. No. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think that car was so cheap to build; it just yeah. was too cheap to build, and it just didn't fall more sophisticated markets where we're used to cars like the Polo and the Fiesta and the Mazda Two, you know, mm. and the Renault Clio for that matter that want sophisticated equipment well, and well, just to, just to keep us moving along, that's a good segue into the next one, which is the Polo, mm. um, which in 2010 yes. was a, a massive new generation, such a big change for that car, and it lasted until 2016. And it is still going in as the Polo Vivo. And I think one market I identified is South Africa. So when you say still going, do you mean there's one example that's still on the road? Yeah, just or do you one mean- that's still just pottering around. Um, on, it was, on it was the serviced very regularly, I think. On the Velt. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was when it arrived, I remember first driving that uh, 2010 Polo and going, what a great little car. It had the... I think it was a 1.4 Atmo, and then there was a uh, another engine option doesn't come to mind. A 1.2 turbo. 1.2 turbo, turbo, that's right. Yeah. Both of them were so nice. The car was such a complete package for its time. Mm, yeah. And I think you made the point in the story, Byron, that keep it in, in market now and it would still stack up pretty well. And I agree. In terms of refinement, it was just terrific. Yeah, indeed. That one, that was the first car of the year that I was involved with. Okay. Was where, where it won. Um, yep. Yeah. And I, it's still... Still, I'd have a, a six-speed manual version with that 1.2-liter engine, turbo yep. engine, any day. It's yep. really good. On the topic of, of Volkswagen, didn't Brazil only just finish producing the Beetle and Combi? <laughs> if it was, if it's 2003, 2003, like 40 years after it was, you know, the production elsewhere stopped, they continued building it. Yeah. And I think that's good. Mm. Yes. Hmm. Was there not a version of the Combi in Brazil where it was uh, water By the way, that was Mexico, not Brazil. Sorry, Mexico. Mexi- oh. in, in Mexico where it was water-cooled and there was an ungainly radiator plugged onto the front of it or something like that. Uh, that what was definitely the of? case for the T2 transporter. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yes. We're off topic. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. uh, moving Can we talk on. talk about the Ford EcoSport? Yes. Let's talk about the Ford EcoSport. Because that was a piece of... This is one to me that sounds like it was, it was intended for other markets, one in particular, but it leaked out to other parts of the world with yes. mixed success, uh, particularly here. It had a six-year run, mm. but, uh, you know, as you say, Byron, really good engine, but just didn't have the the kind of all-round quality and sophistication that you'd expect for the price and that Ford should bring to the Hang table. Hang on. Wait, what? What? The EcoSport had a really good engine? Uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, one of the have, versions it it had the, the, it had the three cylinder turbo turbo. Yeah. Have you driven it? Have you driven that car lately? from Sydney have you driven to, to Sydney lately? to Maitland up the Newcastle freeway? Yep, with that several times. Three cylinder. No, no, I haven't. No, honestly, it could not decide what gear ever it wanted to be in. I spent my holiday not able to get our luggage out of the boot because it's got a wide barn door hint, side was hinged. It, was that a manual car, Richard? And it no. couldn't decide what gear it wanted <laughs> no, to be. It, it, was, it was the auto. No, we it was talking, the auto. I know no, we're talking about a manual. But, Richard, we're talking about I, – I specifically point out the manual. Oh, all right. Well, uh, yes, okay. Yes. Well, that's fine. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Still, oh, Charles, a piece of crap. No, no look, I, look, it's based on the Fiesta <laughs> platform. It had – it had. Um, Which Fiesta? From the, the the WS Fiesta. Do you mean do you mean Festiva? No, no, no. Fiesta. <laughs> no, Look, the car was it was developed for the Brazilian market, but oh, it was there you go. it was done in <clears throat> in Ford of India, 
did a lot of the um the 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 the, the packaging work i think i or i, I seem to recall because i did go to the launch of that car which was in india mm-hmm. in india in the, yeah in the early 2010s and there's a lot of things that I like about that car. And when they took that spare wheel off the tailgate, which they did very late in the life of the car, yes. it really improved that car's um, urban usability because it had a hidden, it had a hidden hat latch to open the open the boot, which yes. took me about three days to work out. Yeah, it was, it was the it tail was, light. James, that was because it was childproof. <laughs> <laughs> look, I just think that that car isn't as bad as people say. Yeah. Look, I, oh. it, it, I, I found no, that I, the interior quality was a bit. I think there was actually a big handle labelled Batman, Batcave style. So it, was, it was honestly, it was one of the yeah, one boot, cars boot, that yeah. I almost just left on the side of the road and walked. Look, wow. Here's my, PSA. wow. here's my PSA, folks. Because SUVs are so expensive, new or used, if you find a manual Eco Boost, Eco Sport, to try mm. saying that fast, uh, particularly if one. Yeah, uh, manual Eco Boost, Eco Sport. Yeah, Eco-Boost. with a service history, I think you'll find it. A an okay. enjoyable compact because yep. it has to be under four meters. Uh, it had to be under four meters long in the body, which is why the um, the the spare wheel was um, hung slung from the. Well, rear. I'm two so meters you, in the body, and no, f- four, me personally, I'm two four, meters in the body. Yeah. So I don't fit Look, into a car that's. But the car, but the car had German engineering. Essentially, oh, that is. That is but, such a crap lo- line yeah, that mark yeah, but, car manufacturers roll out. No, no, German manufacturing, of, it, it, engineering. It, it was, it could fit the um, 99th percentile, 95th percentile male could fit in it because yeah. I, I, I.e. had long, a lot of leg room. But anyway, I think we spent too much time on the Echoes. <laughs> yeah, let's, look, let's move on to another quality vehicle, which of course is the Pulsar. Um, oh, and, yes. 2012 to 2017. Um, on sale here. Now, this was also post a period of confusion with Pulsar, Tita, yes. Pulsar. Um, it, it felt like the uh, higher-ups in Nissan in Japan just said, this car is going to be called Tita now. No one in Australia was happy about it. Yeah, they thought was a, you may a lot of equity in, in the Pulsar yeah. name in this market. Um, Tita, I discovered, means sun in the Okinawan dialect uh, of Japanese. I never knew that. I just looked that up this morning. It means sun. Mm. Um, But it wasn't exactly a sunny time for the Pulsar. It was... uh, I went to that launch in 2012. Did you? And you could even, with a brand new car sitting on a velvet rotating dial, um, you could see how the uh, side skirts had been roughly bolted. <laughs> to the side of the car. Well, like a hole in a self tapper or something. It was really bad. It I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate oh, here again. God, here I he think goes. that I think that it's one of those cars that Nissan does well. Inexpensive, uh, spacious, like bigger than usual for its class. Um, that 1.8 litre engine was fine. It came with an optional tur- 1.6 turbo, which is actually quite lovely with a manual transmission. I didn't mind the looks of it in terms of when it in hatch form. No one liked it. It was it was <laughs> just in the end. It was just a bit fugly. Uh, it, yeah. The interior <laughs> seemed old, but it had a pretty good chassis. Like it had some Renault DNA in that. Look, knowing now what Nissan were going through with their absent father Carlos Gowen, who was channeling all the funds elsewhere <laughs> um, they were allegedly. doing the best with what allegedly allegedly, allegedly yes, of course yes. we don't know for sure i mean mm-hmm. even though he smuggled himself out you know in a violin case um oh wouldn't we all if we could <laughs> to be yeah, that flexible double, again double um, base <laughs> <laughs> look they were doing the best with what they had i think um and i think internally they knew that it wasn't um you know mm. ideal yeah so anyway that car um because it, 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 of its sheer cheapness is still around in markets where that's an important thing. Yep. And I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think that, mm. you know, I'd like to see a Nissan passenger car, uh, an affordable Nissan passenger car again in Australia. Yep. Not now, look, here, here's, here's one where in the 90s, I already saw it as, geez, that's an old car. It's hung around. It's a, more than a decade old. Uh, and it went on for close to another decade being the classic Lada Neva. Oh. Uh, which was on sale here for some time. Yes, it's, yes. It's now sold as a hip kind of retro machine, your words, mm. Byron, um, in the UK. Um, it's now under Renault control, and they've confirmed that it's going to continue until 2023. So that'll be a 40-year run if that replacement actually uh, transpires. 
yeah, 40, almost 45 years, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, uh, that car had a bit of German Volkswagen of the time engineering. Um, okay. Uh, they helped Was that the, the wheel covers or, or something more substantial? Look, I think, it, I think the early cars used a Volkswagen engine block too, I think. Like, oh, I think okay. it had some yep. golf um, elements. I'm not sure, but I don't recall. But anyway, people love Nevis. People love Nevis the same way that people love FJ Cruises in a very scale down, mm. in a very, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, it's more of a curtain, niche, isn't it? Yes. Uh, iron curtain sort of way. Yeah. Look, I think it's a nice piece of industrial design. It's a great city sized vehicle. And they are, um, I think they're appallingly made, or they were. Yes. But, you know, yeah, I can the, see one of the. One of the few cars that I've had deconstruct itself around me is a Lada. It wasn't a Neva, but it just started to, you know, the whole focus on end-of-life recycling for cars, this one was way ahead of itself. It was just wanted to put itself in different bins for the components. I had a mate who had a Lada Neva in the 90s. And, like, yeah, I agree with you, Byron. It's, um, it, was, it was a really fun car and, we, you know, it was, it was fun to drive, um, but I was constantly picking him up off the side of the road. Um, and that was... <laughs> that was after you'd had a blue. <laughs> that was it. There's nothing to do with the car. Nothing to do That's with right. the car. Just get up. A few yes. drinks and <laughs> fell over. Is, um, it, is it because you were selecting the gears? Because you thought it was automatic? It was. Right? No, it was. Come on, come on. That eco-sport, man. Um, no, no, no. It was always breaking down. And I was either driving him to the mechanic to, you know, get pick it back up or, you know, pick him up at, you know, where are you? I'm at Norman Hurst McDonald's, right? And then yeah, right. it's broken down in the car park. It was, but it was to drive. Um, and it reminded me of the TCV that I had years and years ago. They are, you you, you know, talk about cut price um, and, and a raw driving experience. And it's a little bit driving. It was a little bit Suzuki Jimny about it as well there's yeah. that same sort of quality where it's like whoa it's just me and the, yes. and the car there's nothing and, uh, between us mixed with a certain sense of satisfaction when you yeah. actually reach your destination oh, absolutely as opposed to, yeah. yes look All right, we made right. it the then the next one let's keep going suzuki alto so suzuki, alto was 2009 to 2014 in this market tiny little car mm. uh it proved as you say uh byron reasonably successful Another one that was built um, in India, Maruti of India, uh, built the car, but wasn't so much fun to drive. Is it still sold in India then, I presume, Byron? Would that be one of the markets where it's still on sale? Uh, Yeah, very much so. And it's very uh, bottom of the range. Alto has been India's best-selling nameplate, I think, uh, on and off for years and years and years. I mean, that car is, the Alto is the Corolla of of, um, of. Of that part the of the subcontinent, world. yeah, yep. yeah, and um, but I actually like just I'm going to give a shout out to the Celerio that uh replaced that, it in Australia. I thought that's, that car that's was listening. a cracker, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Suzuki Celerio, <laughs> regular <Sorry>. viewer. <laughs> Can this reminds me? I, you know, either myself or Byron or JC, we need to write a story uh, off the back of Byron's story where it's cars that should have left Australia that are still here, <laughs> yes, like the right. Suzuki S Cross. What the heck is the Suzuki S-Cross still doing in Australia? And why does it still have the little, it's still got the little, uh, I think got, um, what, what did it used to be called when it was in Australia? SX4. Yes, and it's still got that on the back of the tailgate. It's not even yes. four-wheel drive. Yeah, well, it's going, to shouldn't conti- be here. it's going to continue, and that's going to be a future story that we write because, um, yeah. The, Hang on. Yeah. Stay tuned. Um, stay stay really? tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. The um, well, this, yes, this, this is not over. Look, this well, next one is amazing because I, at one point, uh, had a 405 as a company car, Peugeot 405, and it was in Australia from 89 to 97. There were performance variants. That great MI16 was such a terrific uh, front drive handling sedan, um, but it still continues on in Iran, courtesy of Iran Kodro Company, ICO, I-K-C-O, uh, and it's been selling in various derivatives for 25 years, and it's still badged as a Peugeot. Is that right, Byron? Yeah, look, it, yes. this, I fell down a huge rabbit hole here. Uh, just if you want to fall down the same rabbit hole, it's fascinating. Just start typing in Iranian car industry. Great. Uh, Great. Uh, the IKCO company seems to have a monopoly on manufacturing cars in that part of the world. 
Yeah. And uh, oh, funny that Peugeot, Peugeot, <laughs> has been involved with them uh, for many, many years. Uh, okay. I think it was, um, yeah, since, as you said, since the car was still fairly current in, in, in Europe. Um, and it's become, uh, it's become the Iranian car now. In, there are different versions with different badges, but manufactured, you know, it's still the same yep. car manufactured. Um, there are derivatives of the car as well as as as, um, as we'll find out in a moment. Would there, and, be a, would there be a Ute? I want to say there's a Ute version. Yeah, but that's, am I making uh, that's, that up? That's coming up with the piste resistance of my story. That's um, that sure. the <laughs> earliest car. Yeah, yeah. I'll explain that. But yeah, what I'm saying is that it just shows the fundamentally sound design of that. It's a pin for design that was released in, um, in on the world market in late 1987. Super clean. Yeah, just look great. And as you as you mentioned, the Mi16 is one of the great forgotten driver's cars of that period. I would have one in a heartbeat. Mm. Um, and in my mind, it was a, it's a, it's a, it was a better car to drive than a 205 GDI, which is sacrilege. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I, we had a new 205 GDI in the family at the time and a 405 MI16, and I know yeah. which one I prefer. So. Yes, yes. All right. Well, the next one is another Peugeot, and it's uh, a 206 that continues on in Iran, Mm-hmm. Um, again by IKCO, yeah. but it was in Australia 1999 to 2007. Mm-hmm. Successful was a, it was a, a reasonably strong period for for Peugeot mm-hmm. relative to where they'd been previously. Great little car, uh, but it it continues on as a sedan. Yeah, um, I reckon that'd be it, good to drive. Actually, oh, 206 was excellent. It was. Um, yeah, yeah, it's Peugeot's best selling car ever. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, the most successful Peugeot in history remains the 206 because. Because it's still being built. Um, uh, yeah, yes, I uh, see. I see. I, I think actually, the, uh, I didn't make it clear in my story, so apologies. But I think there's also the hatch also continues, um, but I oh. couldn't find information okay. other than a reference to it. So, I, okay, I, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the two hundred six again. Peugeot doing something right with design and mm. packaging. Well, mm. the the next one, it's. It is a beauty. This yeah. this is this is a highlight. This is worth waiting for, folks. If you, <laughs> if you stayed this long in this podcast, you're about to be rewarded. The, the progression of this car from a, a Roots Group product. So we're talking about the Hillman Hunter that was a part of the Aussie landscape um, in the 1960s and into the early 1970s. And, and as you point, Aussie. you point out, Byron, yes, it, it won the London to Sydney Marathon. Um, it, I mean, the others were running at the time, weren't they, actually, on, on seat, <laughs> no, on foot? It, actually, a Citroen DS was on track to win that particular uh, race, you may recall, James, but it crashed. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Just All right, well, behind you, yeah. the Iran theme continues uh, here as well because it's built in Iran as the Pakyan, um, and it's basically the national car, yes. uh, you're saying, mm-hmm. and that there is, in fact, a ute version of the Hillman Hunter on sale in Iran right now today. Okay, so, wow. so this is the rabbit hole I was talking about earlier. So the Hillman Hunter platform continues. The Pakan or Pakan was discontinued only a few years ago because it just got too old. The tooling just got too worn out. And this was right. the 1967 Hillman Hunter. <laughs> just very <laughs> wonky pedals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff they, barely fitting they together. They were good when they were new, right? You <laughs> yeah, recall, that's right. right. <laughs> so the Hillman yeah. Hunter, which, well, by the way, started was going to be a Humber for just for um, BMC ah, um, okay. and, and Roots Group fans out there. So this particular Hunter, uh, the the uh, the platform was used in conjunction with a 405 body, and you can buy a, four, a very inexpensive Iranian Peugeot 405 that's using a Hillman Hunter base. Base. Doesn't so you've that got just. A 405 ute body on a Hillman Hunter and sedan. Wow. Also in a Iran. Sedan version. And it's sedan. Also, yeah. And it's called. Wow. The, I want uh, one. Yeah. And so, so you can tell it's a 405-based ute because the doors and the front part are 405, and then, of course, it's got a ute body. But to think that there's a 1967 <laughs> Hillman Hunter yes, exactly. just, like, keeping, you, keeping your butt from the road? Do you know, my, my best mate and I took a, a brief from his mother to dispose of her Hillman Hunter, and we got a car trailer, took it up to the recycling part of the local you know, tip, and I always think it's sad when you see the, a car at the end of its life. Yeah. It's about to go back to nature and all that stuff. And I was thinking, yeah, as we're driving away, and he, he just goes, stop, stop, stop the car. 
So, oh, okay, what are you going to do here? Make a little, you know, poem or something about the car. He got out, started jumping up and down on the car's roof going, that's for when you wouldn't start at 2 a.m. when I wanted to come home from, and this is for when you wouldn't get out of second gear on the bridge and just put the boot in, literally, at its dying, you know, stage. It was, I couldn't breathe. It was so funny. He just took it out on him. Do you know what's sad? It's sad, though, that Iran has a thriving car manufacturing industry, but Australia doesn't. Oh, there you go. That's so deep. It's a great that's point. If great you had a point. microphone, you would drop it. Don't. Don't. Now, one more, one more to finish off um, our list. Mm. The one, two, one. So Ooh. that's a, that's a name yes. that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but one, two, one Mazda was 1986 to 1990. Yes. And of course, there was a Ford Festiva. You mentioned it earlier, Richard. Mm-hmm. There was a Festiva <laughs> equivalent. Um, it was also known as the Kia Pride. So it's technically the DA series, um, one, two, one. And guess where it lives on? Iran. Um, hey! As, as the Saipa, Saipa, Saipa mm-hmm. Pride. Um, it, and you mentioned... Um, Byron, that it took a little hiatus for force majeure, but there's uh, enough stock that it's still a, a top-selling car yeah. uh, in that country. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, uh, uh, there's There are some websites that show you what the global bestsellers are mm. by country and region, and it shocked me that in the last 12 months that car was number two in Iran. Wow. Yeah, still. Unreal. And we're talking about the one-to-one fun top and the same car that Sharon Struzlecki drives pretty much in Kath and Kim. We're talking nice. about. Nice. We're talking that about was, that. That one-to-one shape, I think, um, set the styling for the next 10 years, possibly in your, 20. In your head. I thought that. I thought it was until, <laughs> until that point, cars were quite angular. And that was, to me, I remember seeing that in the playground because the school teacher drove it in high school. And I remember thinking, that looks futuristic. But I, when I saw the fun top, mm. I said, wow, I want one of them. Yeah. Like, it you was such a, big, a big sunroof. Like, yeah. it was almost a cabriolet. You know, the mm. sunroof was so big. Like hey, hey, that car had Audi Quattro-style blistered wheel arches. Do you remember the, the square DA? Wow, that's a reach, isn't it? Like the, no, it's, the it's, Audi no, Quattro-style. No, I think Mazda said we were inspired by Audi. The Audi Quattro. Yeah, yeah. Well, you <laughs> could say you're inspired by the Lamborghini Aventador, but um, whether it comes to pass. <laughs> hey, All right, hey, look. It's still around, so I think it's it's. Yeah. Been, it's a that's, survivor. That's our rundown of cars that live on, uh, having appeared in our market, but living on elsewhere. Uh, fabulous chat. Thank you. Uh, it'd be great to get everybody's feedback on what they make of that. Which ones do you want to come back? Which ones were you waving a fond farewell yeah. to? Which um, ones do you want to ban? Like the Estros? <laughs> that's right. You're inciting uh, discourse here, Mr. What? Mister. There yes. are cars here that should be zombies. That scored. Uh, yeah. Now, where where we would normally, uh, <laughs> under normal non-COVID circumstances, go to our garage in terms of what we've been driving in recent mm. times, mm. we're going to go a little bit further back in in history and ask for your memorable drives. Um, and Richard, <clears throat> you've you've got a great one. It's it's some time ago in a car that was built even longer ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I first met my wife about, oh, it would have been 15 years ago, um, we were going out and um, and I was just getting into hot rodding, um, which I'm fully immersed in um, nowadays. And um, her father is a big hot rod builder up on Sydney's or New South Wales Central Coast. And he was going to a hot rod run. And I'm like, I'd like to go to a hot rod run. And he goes, well, I'll take the 37 pickup and why don't you take the 1935 pickup with Amanda? And I'd never driven a hot rod before. And I drove this gold, her name was Ginge, Ginger, uh, gold 1935 pickup hot rod all the way from Newcastle to Port Macquarie in the pouring rain. Um, I remember, um, I think at the time I was driving the new Volkswagen uh, Passat and and it was a a test car for a magazine I was working on years and years ago. And um, getting out of the Passat into into a, um, you know, a 1930-35 pickup was like going to to a Flintstone car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was... um, 
uh, I was it was raining the whole time. Could, um, could could one of the first deficiencies you noticed be the windscreen wipers? Was was there a, yeah. a lack of okay? There? So the windscreen wiper itself was like a comb, oh, it was, yeah. and it was there was just one. And I discovered that <laughs> it didn't work at all. In pouring rain, you may as yeah, well great. have turned it off. But I stopped great. at a petrol station and I bought these wipes, and I didn't even know they existed because being a new car type of guy until then. I didn't realize these. These were the wipes that you wipe the whole windscreen, which is literally about that because it had been chopped. It was about that high. Like a letterbox. Like a letterbox. And I wiped this stuff over it. And honestly, it was better than any windscreen wipe. Was that like uh, Rain-X? Yeah, it was like Rain-X. I think that was the actual brand. And it worked so well. It had had a original chassis, a 1935 chassis, but it had some modern running gear in the form of a 351 Clevo Ford V8. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had a hold in front end like a lot of them do. Um, and it was my my baptism. Um, Great. You know, into the industry uh, or into the, you know, the scene. And I, and I loved it. And I entered it and I power parked it with a whole lot of other pickups. And then I just drove it again and again, you know, all, all weekend and then drove it all the way home in the rain. And I was, I've never been wetter or happier in my life. Oh, that's unreal. So oh, that's that very it. good. Mm. That's very good. Good oh, on you, Richard. That story's got everything. It's got, um, it's got love, sex. <laughs> it um, does. Moisture. Yes. Moisture. Uh, wetness, rain oh, It's got it all. It was. Now, Byron, Byron. <laughs> very damp. Time, time for you to pick up the baton here and uh, give us a rundown on your memorable drive, vehicle, place, time. Okay. So, um, as you can see from my background, I do like French cars, not necessarily brand new ones, but I love French cars. And I think, I reckon I've been put on this planet to, uh, well, from a vocational point of view, to um, address the myth that French cars are not reliable or suited to Australia. Because I've done two long drives in very old French cars. Well, I should say two. I've made probably... 32 but one is one was in a 504 and one was in a Renault 16 TS or 16 not a TS and it just TL TL actually it wasn't because it was a very early Ah, almost pre-production model so it was just a 16 so it was the uh, it was was strip speedo um yeah quite basic bench seat amazing anyway um three or four years ago my friend Marty and I uh decided to um, go. We live in Melbourne. We decided to go up to uh, Wollongong via Sydney. We mm. flew up. I think. Did you say Newcastle? Oh, look. I th- look. I, no. I said Newcastle, but I had just woken up when I told you this story. So you, so so you went. To, so Wollongong is a little bit south of Sydney. Yeah, yes. that's right. Okay. So, so cool. we yeah, and we went in there actually in a prototype uh, Kia Stinger that uh, one of my colleagues was driving at the time, pre-release one. Uh, so it was 2017 and uh, we got a lift down to Wollongong and we jumped into a 1968 but late 67 built Renault 16 that hadn't been driven for five years. We bought the car sight unseen, checked mm-hmm. the oil, ch- uh, had the uh, the uh, vendor's uh, recharge battery, had a couple of tools with us and we bombed it down to Melbourne. It did not miss a beat. Unreal. We drove it through rain, pelting rain through just Howling winds. Um, the only thing that went wrong with this car is the right hand side uh, main beam light bulb went out, which we is that it? I that see. Was it. Did you have to stop for Rainex or the, the wipers did work? <laughs> only for my for my glasses because <laughs> 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 I was sweaty and I was it was. Uh, wow. and, but look, the moral of that story is that that car, uh, a Renault sixteen, an early front wheel drive, like pre you know hatchback era. Yeah, uh, family car just had the comfort, the brakes, the steering, the uh, the oh, because surety. It's, a four, it's a four speed column shift, isn't it? And it was a four speed column shift, which is so beautiful to use. And th- that sort of car, you, you realize why column shifts made sense because mm. you're not reaching as far out or down as you are in a manual transmission, your your hands are up, so you know, yeah. And the, flo- the floor control. was perfectly flat, yeah. um, in the front, so and, and the bench seat is sumptuous. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful seats. Anyway, and oh, and it had uh, kind of that manual thing where you you pop a lever and the fresh air comes from somewhere underneath the windscreen is straight into your face, and that's really yeah you know, refreshing unless you're driving through exactly. Locals. Very direct <laughs> approach. Yeah, yeah. Very direct approach. Anyway, so that and that we we got back safely and we couldn't believe we we managed that in a forty. Uh, it was a sixty-eight, so a forty-nine-year-old Renault that basically had not been driven. 
yeah. uh, for five years. And by the way, when I was younger, I used to go to uh, my best friend used to live in Canberra and I used to go from Melbourne to Canberra and pick him up and we go to raves in Sydney. In my yeah. 1979 Peugeot 504, that by that oh, stage is 25 great years Great car old. for that. Great mm-hmm. car for that. Just, just did it. So It would um, eat it up. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Well, mm. I'm going to stick on the Renault theme uh, because um, it's a vehicle that enabled me to really bond with my brother. Um, uh, he's, he's a fair bit older than me, and I didn't really make any sense to him until I could speak with him. So then, then when I could actually hand him a spanner, I made even more sense. And it was a time when the Renault 4 was being kind of abandoned around the place. You'd just see them on the roads. They weren't worth much, so people would just leave them. And he saw this as an opportunity and would just collect that car, make sure that it had been abandoned, clear it with the council. We'd bring it back, strip the useful parts off it, and he would work on other people's R4s, and I was his spanner guy. And the R4, it's its 60th anniversary this year in 2021. There have been 8 million of them made and in a hundred and sold in a hundred countries including australia and it was built in heidelberg in victoria for a couple of years uh well four years 62 to 66 and we owned several of of those my brother had you know if you wanted to add them up all the ones that he acquired it was 25 odd you know renault fours and when it came time for me to get a get a, a car there was just this stack of spare parts everywhere i thought it's madness not to have one so i owned three or four as well um, and it was front wheel drive and it was a hatchback and the rear seat folded and it was so far ahead of its time in that sense. Just a little 750cc four cylinder that I can guarantee you, I can attest, you can lift out um, of the engine bay. <laughs> you don't need an engine hoist. Um, what a man. What a guy, but, hey, Richard. And the, and the, the, the three-speed uh, transmission, the, the, the gearbox was in front of the engine and just drove straight out to the front wheels. So then you had a rod went straight up out of the gearbox connecting to a horizontal rod that poked out the dashboard with a curve and a little bulb on the end. So you changed your gears out of the dash. So convenient and so direct. It was mm. really great fun. You're talking about a 55 horsepower, about 41 kilowatts, and it only weighed 700 kilos. Um, and over time, it continued on. Um, there were van versions. There were bigger engines. You've got a four-speed. But it was a torsion bar suspension. And I worked out that you could drop it to its lowest level and it looked like it was using ground effects. If you put skirts on the car, it probably would have sucked itself to the road. It looked amazing. <laughs> um, and the, so I had one which was affectionately known as the ground effects machine. And that everything was so very simple. You know, the seats were a tubular mm. um, frame with then a webbed kind of vinyl um, seat on the top. So you were just suspended in this really simple but comfortable seat. Mm. One, one that I bought, someone had built runners <clears throat> and put timber drawers under the seat so you could actually, you had little glove boxes under each front seat. It was just amazing. Um, and we even had seen the plein air um, roofless version and my brother and I got out the hacksaw and tried to convert one and even thought about taking it to the registry office and then, you know, thought better of it. But, um, but I, I understand there's going to be an election, uh, electric version in similar fashion to the retro R5. There might even be an R4 making a comeback. So I'm looking forward to that. But it was a, it was known, a super special car. Known as a Renault 4 ever. By the way, as in oh, is it? the Renault 4 ever. forever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, James, that's a great story because the Renault 4 is a forgotten piece of oh, Australian beautiful. history as well. And you know the thing that um, a, uh, um, a friend of ours, a uh, colleague of ours, Jonathan Hawley, was thinking about buying one, and he he, he asked for my advice because he knew that I'd had a few of them. And the thing that I said to him is, make sure that it's on Michelin X tires, those very early uh, <clears throat> radials. Because often in Australia, they were sold with conventional tyres, but they were made for that Michelin X. And you put them on and it transforms the car. Mm-hmm. It's such a delight to drive. It It leans like a mad dog, but it hangs on like you wouldn't believe. It's fantastic. It's one, of the, one of the sort of like the, the common themes here, I, I think, with the cars that we've driven is that, um, and you don't just, you don't really get it with new cars these days, is that you arrive at your destination feeling like you've made <laughs> yes. it. Yeah, that's really, and there's this that's kind true. of ecstasy that you've just gone, oh, my God, well, we're here, yeah. we're alive, we did with it. With the R4, you know, my brother put it to me, my brother Johnny put it to me beautifully one time. He said, James, these are for French farmers who just want to mm. put stuff in the back. It mm-hmm. might be a pig, it might be some hay bales, but they also need it to, to serve as family transport. And the designers, if they needed to put something somewhere, they just go, right, put a hole, self-tapper, 
put it there. It was it was so basic yet so beautifully functional. Really, really really good. And and the car had uh, longevity too because it was made till nineteen ninety one. I know, and in, by in Portugal, then, though, it had become the kind of, it was in the latest stages of Elvis life. You know, it had, it had mm. the tassels on the sleeves and it was, over, it was a bit bloated yes. because they'd put a full, full dash in it and they'd yeah. put proper seats the in Las it. Las Vegas it was, stage. It just, it was his Las Vegas stage. It, it I, wasn't I, yeah, but I think people right also forget that the Renault 4 was rebodied as a Renault 5. Well, the Renault 5 was such an important car that tragically yeah. never made it here. You would think it would it was a no-brainer, but um, yeah. it, it never made it to this market. It, the, the, the closest it got to Australia was Numea. Um, yeah. uh, was it just broke down in Numea? It couldn't get any <laughs> further. Yes, hey, just, hey, hey, the whole point is that French cars I'd don't stop, break I'd down. Stay, I'd stop in Numea. And well, it was funny. As the, R4, as the R4 got older and older, and mm. Renault dealers didn't stock the parts. You could find all the parts in Numea. Yeah, um, yeah. Get them drive shafts, the whole oh, really? Bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, but apparently, um, uh, just like in the mid '90s, in the mid '70s, there was uh, uh, French nuclear testing in the Pacific, ah, which yeah. uh, put the kibosh on the five coming to Australia. Mm. You know, Muraroa Atoll. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, or oh. bless you, I should say. <laughs> okay, now. <laughs> Now we'll we'll move on and we'll we'll move through this. It's feedback from last episode, and it was yeah. happily, Byron, um, built around one of your stories, which was about creative ways to sidestep the queue that exists for popular Toyota models. Um, and we got some good responses. Lofty Visions uh, was kind enough to say, "Great podcast!" So thank you, Lofty. And um, but he's tested a fair few hot hatches before he bought his GR Yaris. Lucky person, uh, Lofty. Um, his first Toyota, so he's no fanboy. Uh, none of them felt as special as the GR. The Fiesta ST said cheaply built, seats too tight. i30N, great, but scary axle tramp. And he's seen similar kind of responses in i20N uh, reviews as well. And if you're spending a big wad of cash, it has to have that special edge. And the, the GR was the only car that felt comfortable um, and he was used to turbos um, and all-wheel drive because he'd had various Subarus, but nothing came close. He says, I absolutely love it, even if it does look a little bit like a roller skate, um, smiley face. We, <laughs> we did have a bit of a dig at the way the car looks, but he's in love um, oh, with the car that he's bought and, I, I and was happy, happy that he waited to, to buy it. I concur. I, I, I've been driving a GR Yaris and even at $56,000, that thing. It's special. It's so, so special. special. It's unique in the world. And, 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 and Roto, Roto Ihu, another one of our uh, regular commenters, says that we, we were talking about the, the idea of a car being greater than the sum of its parts. Somehow you look at a car on paper, assess the tech spec sheet and go, oh, yeah, but then in the driving it is really special. He says, look, it's a GR Yaris. It's like half a Yaris, half a Corolla. And you put a little three-cylinder in it. What what could that be? And of course, it's in, incredible. But he did make the point, uh, Byron, and it'd be good to get your thoughts. Um, did we look into availability in some of these alternatives? He understands that Mitsubishi's been rushed for the new Outlander in the Aussie market, but supply is a bit tight. Could be that you're waiting just as long. I as for a Rav Four, and I think you made the point in the story that. You should be tapping your Mitsubishi dealer right now mm, um, and correct. getting ahead of things. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Absolutely. Social distancing, though. Social distancing. No tapping. Well, that's right. Physically. It's an elbow, not a. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, de- yeah definitely. <laughs> um, I think you could, you, you definitely need to jump, uh, like ju- jump straight into it if you want to buy a car, regardless of whether it's new or used, because there's so much demand. And yeah, just contact. Um, the your Mitsubishi dealer and also your Nissan dealer because I talk about the cash color, I think being another one of the cars um, yep. their order books are opening in a couple of weeks time and they've actually said look our order books are opening in a couple of weeks time get in quick getting looks now good. Yeah. yeah looks really good yeah yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Richard, you'll be uh, pleased to know that DeCool came in with some DeCool K uh, came in some, <laughs> with some feedback he agrees with us that Mitsubishi has has been flying under the radar. You know they're pushing out ASXs left, right, and centre. Um, he notes that they've dialed up the warranty and cap price servicing, which is big shot across Toyota's bows. Um, other old models uh, weren't selling that badly. Seeing a lot of Outlanders, uh, and mm. then they've got new product coming um, with Outlander and, and Eclipse Cross and Lancer Evo. 
been heavily advertising the PHEV version two, uh, maybe a better alternative to the Corolla Cross, mm. um, and that there's a fair chance that Mitsubishi could uh, take a big chip out of uh, Toyota's market share. Uh, and he's looking at the success of the RAV4 hybrid and just saying, why didn't Hyundai, Kia, Ford with the Escape? Didn't they bring PHEVs and hybrids from the get-go? Um, it's beyond his comprehension. They could have been gold mines. I, I think Hyundai uh, with Ionic got in there as quickly as it could, but there, are there other opportunities that they've missed, do you think? I think so, and I think we'll see this replicated as we head towards electric vehicles. I think what will happen is that those manufacturers that have got EVs out now will be like Toyota, which have already got you know hybrids pretty much you know for each model in the entire lineup. Um, it's too late. You can see that the others are playing catch up. There should have mm. been a Tucson hybrid. There should have been a you know there is a um, escape hybrid, but not in Australia. So I think they're yep. playing catch up. I think, yeah, he's absolutely right. Well, it's, mm -hmm. it's you know, Toyota had the had the gumption mm. to, to really roll the dice on hybrid and say, we're going to give it a big push, you know, more than mm. 20 years ago. And that could have failed and we'd all be laughing about what a, what a joke, you know, Toyota's hybrid efforts were, but that's it's paid off. It's a big risk and, and they're, absolutely. they're, you know, reaping the benefits. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Um, um, now... I'll Sorry, Byron, go ahead. I was just saying, yeah, the market is rewarding the, the brave in this situation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally. Now, uh, Jim Danik, we were talking about brand loyalty and how people buy brands and then think about the product um, was, was the, the rationale. He says, quote, brand loyalty is real. Um, he's been a Hyundai fan since purchasing his first i30 in 2009, and he's since bought six. So he turns them over, you know, every couple of years, or he's just got a garage with six Hyundai. I think oh, he's a Jim Danik Motors. He's a Hyundai dealer. Of course, he's honest. Loyal. Jim's honest. Jim's <laughs> Hyundai's. Um, and you just, he's just put a deposit though on an Isuzu MUX because he needs to tow things. Um, he would have preferred a Hyundai option, you know, if it was available. So he says he's happy with his purchase, but not excited, uh, which is which is an interesting way of putting it. And he's such a, a Hyundai devotee, he would have liked to have stayed. Um, loyal to that brand. TGV, the very fast train, um, says it only took, what, 18 months for you to get a microphone. Now, he may have been um, pointing that criticism in my direction. And I'd say, no, no, I've had this microphone for more than 18 months, but properly configuring it, that's another matter. So Still maybe, working it out. Maybe. <laughs> still, still, we honestly are. It, it might have taken a little while. So uh, thanks for pointing that out, uh, fast train. But... He also says he never aspired to purchase Toyota. He's seen family, friends, work colleagues all have issues with various models. Toyota relies too much on its reputation. It's all they have left as their vehicles aren't that good. So he's someone who is in the, uh, the anti-Toyota camp, as evidenced by the experience of people close to him, uh, which is an interesting perspective. I mean, it's just tall poppy syndrome going on there. Do you think mm. it's an automatic, yeah. automotive tall poppy syndrome? Yes. I, I don't know. I was behind a Hilux the other day and its PDF was, was – uh, it's PDF. Uh, it's particular filter. DPF. DPF. Uh, yeah. the, the PDF. And the PDF. <laughs> it was just the sheet was, was floating just along the rail. Algae out smoking yeah, my face. A4-sized. Well, well I, was, I was driving my Citroen BX behind it thinking – why? Uh, and then you opened up that direct air flap. No, that's the <laughs> yeah, Renault 16. That's, that's right. a 16, yeah. No, well, just to finish off the comments, um, our old mate, Senior Bob, thank you, Senior. Hey. He says, great show, boys. And Dave Morley was, was with us last week and talked about his incredible trip along the Silk Road um, on motorcycles through all the stands, Tajikistan, blah, blah, all the stands. Yep. Um, and Senior said, incredible experience. What bike was that? DR650 BMW. And I checked with Dave and posty, it posty bike. A 20, no, it wasn't a posty <laughs> bike. Uh, it wasn't a step through even. 2012 Suzuki DR650. So you picked it. That was the bike he chose. And it obviously gave him good service um, on that incredible and quite arduous journey. But wow. with that, we have reached the finish line. Oh. So thank you for joining, Byron. Thank you for having me. And thank you. Pleasure. And thank you, Richard. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. And thanks to our crisis negotiator, paranormal gatekeeper, and fortune cookie writer, Mr. Pritchard, for his subtle yet decisive work in the Cars Guide production suite. Uh, today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, if you ever need nothing, I'm totally here for you. 
um, the Macho Man Randy Savage wrestling trunks and Godzilla boots. Incredible look. Jump into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Apple podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars would be preferred. Five is the correct number. Um, thank you. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel uh, so you can stay on top of all our latest content. Now, next week is episode 200, and we are hosting an all-in Royal Rumble podcast oh, cage fight. It is. With, podcast with wrestle. Many, with as many of our regulars as possible joining the show. We're going to get shirts so, so off. Don't get... miss it. Don't miss yep. it. Yeah, we're moving all the furniture to the edges of the room, yep. and it's, yep. it's going to be on. But, look, before we go, deep in the bowels of a Toyota Mirai, two hydrogen atoms are heading towards the fuel cell when suddenly one shouts, damn it, I lost my electron. The other atom asks, are you sure? First one says, yes, I'm positive. Oh, 